You know, back in 1982, I was working at a radio station in northern Ontario, Canada, and uh, one of my jobs when I would work an evening shift is we would run Bible tapes at a certain time, um, you know, because that's uh, something that helped pay the bills. And uh, different ministries from across the country, they would buy airtime and we would run their tapes. And, and uh, so here I was not knowing Jesus, but in a situation where I had to keep an ear on for the tape, make sure it was running. And, and over the course of a couple of years, I got a lot of gospel that way. And this is one of the songs that we just sang that always closed one particular Bible show that we used to listen to. And so I always got to listen to at least the last 10 minutes, which was usually kind of the invitation part, right? The part that, that uh, you know, we would call the altar call, and it was at the end of the program. And uh, I just found myself over a period of time really moved by that. And so I actually wrote into them and asked them more information, which they sent to me. And they sent me a little cross and a little prayer, and they suggested just praying to get used to get the idea of praying. And so I carried that cross in my pocket, and I prayed that prayer for a period of time. And then the following spring, that's when I came to know Jesus, when God put some Bible-believing Christians from a brother in Christ church in, in that town in front of me, and uh, they taught me the Bible, they taught me who Jesus was, and they led me to saving knowledge of Jesus. So that, that song, pardon me for going on, but that song, it, it's special to me, it means something special. So, amen. Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, in your word you have called us your children. And as your children, we come to you. We come to you in expectation this morning. We sit at your feet, and we're ready to listen to what you have to say to us today. Speak to us through your scriptures and reveal your intentions. Let us bless you with our open hearts and with our obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for the past several months, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount and uh, we have been learning some of the core teachings of Jesus. Some of the, the central teachings of Jesus are found in this, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, if you ever want to really get a handle on where Jesus is at, that's the place to start. Because that's the core. Um, I like to imagine sitting at Jesus' feet on that mountain as he preached, you know. All of this stuff that we've been studying over several months was, we believe, delivered in a sermon on a single day. All these people had been following Jesus and they'd followed him up onto the mountainside and, and he sat down to teach and they sat down to listen and uh, Jesus began to pour out all this inf information, all this stuff that's more than information, all this life-giving teaching. And they were hearing his teaching and they were learning how to apply some of that uh, along the way. And I was, um, I've just been blessed by where we've been going the last few months. It's been been really interesting to do a series where you know you can't skip over anything <laughs> where you get to something and it's hard and and in our own personal study we might go I'm not going to do that today I'm not in the mood but when we're doing it like this we don't get that opportunity to do that we get to listen to Jesus teach all the way through you know um Friday night I had this kind of an interesting experience uh I couldn't sleep you ever get that where you can't sleep um, I, I just kept tossing and turning all night, and, 
And finally I got up and it was about five o'clock in the morning and I went over and sat in my chair and just trying to get in a different position, just praying that that would make me tired and fall asleep. And I picked up my phone off the bedside and I took it over with me. And, I, and I, I, instead of opening my iPad to do some reading on there, I have all kinds of things and my Bible on my phone. So I sat down and I turned it on and it's saying, low battery, low battery. I, well, I had it plugged in for several hours. So I, I went over and I plugged it back in and I didn't get that little boom, you know, and, uh, and the little flashing battery with uh, the lightning bolt that goes through it that tells you that it's charging. Nothing was happening. It's like, well, wait a minute. I thought I was plugged in. So then I turned on the lights and I'm looking to see what's going on and it turned out that the charger had pulled out of the extension cord. I must have yanked on it particularly hard at some point. And I, I really, I thought I was plugged in. I thought I was getting charged. I thought I was gonna be ready for the day and I got nothing. And I'm really losing what I had. So I plugged it back in and thankfully by the time I got up the second time and I did get some sleep, that battery was all charged up and ready to go. As a person, where do you get your power to get through the day? Where do you get the power? Where do you get the power to go through life? As a Christ follower, where do you get the power to follow Jesus? Because I don't think we really can unless we're getting the power from God himself, right? Are you plugged in? Are you plugged into the source? Are you, are you getting that charge that you need in order to get through the day or get through the week or get through the month or get through that really difficult thing that's going to fall on your head today? Sorry to tell you that, but that happens, right? And Jesus promises to be with us to help us endure during those difficult situations. He doesn't promise to take them all away. And so if we're going to try to get through those things, we need Jesus' help. And the only way we get Jesus' help is to be plugged in, right? We need to be plugged in to the Master. Amen. Passage we're looking at today, it's in the second part of Matthew chapter 7, and it's starting at verse 7, and uh, it's going to talk about some of that this morning. So if you would get your Bible out and open it to Matthew 7, starting at 7, we're going to go down through verse 14. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it, sadly. This section of the Sermon on the Mount, it has two parts, right? It has the first part. The first part deals with prayer. 
solidly on prayer. The second part shifts a little bit and, and it moves into the area of discipleship. So we're going to look at it like that in two parts. That second part begins with what we call the golden rule in verse 12. And uh, we're going to see why does Jesus stick that in the middle of a teaching about prayer. So we're going to look at that this morning too. Let's start with the part about prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus starts off by telling us we need to do three things. This is all about prayer, this section. And he says you've got to do three things. He says you've got to ask, you've got to seek, and you've got to knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Have you ever been in a situation where you really need a certain tool for the job? I had some trees in my front yard, these branches, and not too long ago in a big windstorm that we had, one of them fell, and it was about 15, 20 foot long. It was a big branch, and it fell right onto my neighbor's property and pretty close to the sidewalk and next to where the cars are. And uh, I knew I didn't have a good tool for that job. I have a couple of bow saws. I did some work when I was younger, um, cutting some trees and stuff, and and I have some of those kinds of things, but it, it would just be an awful lot of work to try to saw that by hand and not as safe because with a power saw, I could take you know, the top and then bring it down piece at a time. But I knew that Russ had a power saw. He had a, an electric chainsaw, and it's on a pole. And so I decided, I'm going to go ask Russ, and Russ will give me the chainsaw, and, and that's exactly what he did. He lent it to me, and I took it home, and I cut those branches. And, and that's a good thing, because they were in pretty shaky condition. And one of them was about, it, it came off the tree about this thick at the bottom. You know, so if that had fallen onto a car, or where she had onto my car, or if that had fallen onto a person, it would have squashed them. And so it was a good thing that I borrowed the saw, right? It's a good thing I asked Russ to borrow his saw. Well, James 4.2 says you have not because you ask not. How many times have you genuinely needed something, but you were nervous to ask or afraid to ask, or you, you didn't want to go to God and bother God because he's so busy up there. You know, you didn't want to get in there and ask him, and he's ready to help. He's right there. You ever had that experience where you, afterwards you think, man, I should have just prayed? Happens to me all the time. You know, I'll be, you know, in some situation or some relationship thing or some logistic thing, and, I, and, and I'm struggling away, and I even start to get to worry about it. And then I hear that little voice that says, well, why, why don't you just ask me? <laughs> why not start with me? Shouldn't the Lord come first in these situations? Shouldn't we start there? I should have asked. Ask, and it will be given to you, Jesus says. And then, then he says, seek, and you will find. This word seek is kind of an interesting word. It's got a, in the Old Testament, there's like five words for it in Hebrew. In the New Testament, just a couple. But it means more than just a casual glance. You know, to seek is to is more than just a quick prayer, more than just throwing a few words at heaven and then walking out the door. 
One Hebrew word means to search for it, as if it's something that it's lost, you know, something that we're looking for, or even someone. Another part of that same definition means to point your face. You know how you, and, and you can see the Semitic way the Semitic languages work, you know, to point your face. Well, when I have a conversation with you, don't I point my face at you? You know, and you can tell I'm listening, you can tell I'm paying attention by whether or not my face is pointed at you, and I'm looking you in the face. So here, uh, this word, when it's applied to God, is suggesting point your face at God. Have a conversation with him. Get into it. Talking to God. This is more than just casual words that we just throw out. And there's another Hebrew word that means to seek with pleasure or delight. That takes time, doesn't it? Seeking with pleasure, seeking, enjoying the moment of being in the presence of God, having pleasure in seeking God and in, in going into this relationship, having present, uh, uh, just joy and sitting down and, you know, and basking in the presence of God. Prayer shouldn't be a chore, it should be a blessing. Shelley pointed out at our, our Thursday meeting the other day that, that uh, there's a sense in this word seek in the New Testament that means spending time in God's presence. And what do we think of when we think of prayer? We usually just think of some words. We think of maybe a formatted prayer. We might think of a liturgical prayer. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But, but when we want to go to God and when we, when we need something, we need to go and spend time with God to talk to him, to seek, to find joy, to bask in his presence, to be engaged with God, right? We're enter entering into the presence of the holy God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search me or search for me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's seeking. That's the seek part. And then Jesus goes on to the knocking part. Knock and the door will be open to you. How do you knock on a door? You just go... Once, and that's it. You just bang once, and somebody will come and open the door. They probably won't even know that that was a knock. When we knock at a door, you knock on the door. You repeat that knock, right? You know, it's knock, 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 penny. Knock, 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 penny. Knock, 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 penny. <laughs> Those of you who get that, get that. Those of you who don't, ask the others. But when we knock, we, we are persistent, right? We're not just doing one knock. We're doing more than one knock. We're, we're knocking until somebody opens the door. When we pray, it's kind of like, you know, the old song, knocking on heaven's door. You know, we're knocking on that door. We're waiting for God to open that door, right? The words used for seek and ask and knock are in a special Greek form. I remember my professor drilling this into us. This is what this means. It means to ask and keep on asking. It means to seek and keep on seeking. And it means to knock and keep on knocking. 
So it, this is an ongoing thing, right? And, and isn't that how prayer should be as we really begin as disciples, as we grow in the Lord, prayer becomes more part of our daily life to the point where, you know, sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. We've just sort of lapsed into prayer. You ever have that happen to you? You know, you're, you're seeing something, something happens, and you're going, oh, Lord, please help that person. Happens to me all the time when I see people, you know, I see somebody on the street and, and, and I'm driving by and I can't stop and get out and help or do something and I'll just immediately, I'm, Lord, help that person. Please take care of that person. Keep that person. Or you see somebody who just looks like, you know, they need God's blessing today. And you just pray over them. It just comes out. It's just part of that. That's that asking and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking and and knock and keep on knocking. And God will answer our prayer of need. Psalm 34.10 says, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Lack no good thing. Earlier in that same psalm, of course, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Beautiful verse. William Barclay says that when we pray, we ought to know who we're praying to. We ought to understand this God that we're praying to, do, to, uh, to answer these prayers. What kind of God is he? And that's what Jesus is talking about here in this next section. Jesus goes on to explain the prayer. He says, which of you, and this is really him talking about himself, which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Do you remember the other summary of the law and the prophets that pops up in Jesus' teaching? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he summarizes, these are the, this is the law. This is the most important part. Unless you're a really nasty parent, you're not going to withhold from your children the things that they need to get by, right? So, so you're not going to ignore the children's hunger. You're not going to ignore um, when they're, they're looking at, for food. You're not going to mock them by giving them something that they don't need. Like my understanding is that along the, the, uh, the Galilee shore, the stones, because of the constant washing of the waves, they, they look like little loaves of bread. And, and they're almost the same color. They're sort of a brownish color, which is different. And, and so Jesus is obviously referring to something that they already are familiar with. And, and when he's talking about a snake, he's really, the word is serpent, and he's really probably talking about an eel. Uh, eels, under the Judaic law, were forbidden to be eaten. They were unclean animals. So it says here, you know, which, which father, what kind of father, if his child asks for food and asks for a fish, would you give him this unclean thing? That's not how a real father would care for his children. And Jesus is, is like this proper father. How much more will our 
heavenly Father who is perfect give good gifts when we ask him. He is kind and loving and ready to, to, to bring an answer when we come to him in prayer. So the first part is about prayer. The second part seems to move into this area of discipleship, but, but it's connected. And it really struck me when I was reading this and, and reading through this passage again and again as I was preparing for this message, just, just how unusual it is that what we call the golden rule is just stuck right in there with prayer. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And, and you know, it, it, we know it belongs together in context. It's joined together in the Greek. It uses a joining word, so, or therefore, is actually the word that's used in Greek. Therefore, and when you see a therefore, you should find out what it's there for, right? And so, if you track back, it's connected to the previous thought. So how in the world is this connected to the previous thought about prayer? Well, what if this, the way that we treat other people, is connected, it's an outflow of our prayer with God and our relationship with God? What if it's a, an outpouring of that relationship that we've just been talking about, about establishing it through prayer and, and growing it through prayer and trusting God through prayer? The prayer part that we just read, it isn't so much about what we're asking for, it's about who we're talking to, isn't it? That's really the center of that passage. And so, because of this kind, benevolent God, this loving and caring God that we have a relationship with through prayer, therefore, go do this. Therefore, this is how we should treat others because this is how God treats us, isn't it? You know, Jesus didn't invent the golden rule. This golden rule of doing to others as you would have them do to you, um, it's a very famous rule and it's a very old rule and Jesus kind of takes it and turns it upside down. Uh, in Jesus' day, uh, Rabbi Hillel, uh, he was very well known for using this golden rule. And Confucius even, quoted the golden rule. But Jesus takes this popular saying and he turns it upside down. Well, why does he do that? Well, here's what it looks like in, in the other verse, uh, the other version. What is hateful to yourself, do to no other. Well, Jesus turns that into a positive. He says, do to others what you would have them do to you. What if we put it in the context of prayer? Whatever you would pray for yourself, ask God to do for others. Maybe Jesus is saying, you know, that's how a follower of Jesus would pray. That's how a follower of Jesus would behave. That's what a disciple looks like. This is what kingdom living looks like. You know, when I was a boy, um, my family moved around a lot. My parents were kind of in the business where they would buy houses and we would move into them and fix them up and then we would sell them and move to the next place. And so uh, we moved around an awful lot and I was in several different schools when I was a kid. 
And in one area, we moved into a, into a house that, that the school I went to was in a very rough neighborhood. A lot of poverty, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff like that. Well, one boy named Casper began to pick on me almost as soon as I arrived at school. You know, every time we were out in the schoolyard, every recess, every lunchtime, he would bully me and my friends. Well, one day I'd had enough. And so when he pushed me one day, I pushed him back. Only it was on this one occasion that the teacher was watching. <laughs> and so we were both hauled into the principal's office and the principal threatened to expel both of us for fighting. And in those days, you could even strap kids, you know, hit their hands with a strap if you'd never heard of that practice. You could still do that in those days. And that was threatened as well. So each of us was given a note. We were sent home, told to give this to our parents and have them sign it so that they knew what we did and then return it. Well, of course, you know that I went home and I got in trouble all over again as soon as I got in the house and was uh, condemned to my room for the rest of the night and probably grounded for a few days besides that. Well, I was really angry about what happened. I mean, I felt like I was the victim, you know? Well, I was the victim here. You know, this guy's pushed me so many times. This guy has, has hit me so many times. And here I am, the only time that I respond and I'm in trouble. I was mad. I was really mad. Well, I went back to school in fear and trembling. I was worried that this kid would just ignore all of this and that he would bully me again. And, and I arrived at school and he wasn't there. And the next day he wasn't there either. And finally at some point during the day the teacher got up and announced to the class that, that Casper had been hit by a car and that he was in very bad condition in the hospital. And I think his sister even told me that they were worried that he would die. Well, I didn't see any of that. The, the mean little part in me, the sin nature in me said, good, this guy who hurt me so many times finally got what was coming to him. I even said to my mom, I hope he dies. My mom knew that I didn't really mean that. And she didn't say much, and she was pretty wise at that, and waited till the end of the day, and when it was time for prayers at bedtime, she said, why don't we say a little prayer for that guy? You know how we do prayers when we're little kids, you know, we have the memorized part, and then there's, uh, you know, all, all the extra appendixes, you know, that we put on the end, right? So it's, uh, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then, then comes the appendices, and it's God bless mommy and daddy and the cat and the dog and the neighbor and everybody else, right? And at the very end, please don't let Casper die. And I prayed that every night. And then it began to change as I heard he was getting better. It was, please help Casper to get better. Please make him well. One day I walked into school, and I heard that Casper was coming back. And I started to worry all over again that he was going to start picking on me. And, and he walks in the door, sort of walks, comes in on crutches, both of his legs are broken, and he has this wooden piece in between to hold them together so that he could use the crutches and get around. 
And wouldn't you know it, my teacher makes me his buddy. And now I have to carry his books and open the doors and, and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? <laughs> and you know, I had been worried about him starting to bully me again. But we started to talk. And see, during this time, my mom had suggested at one point, why don't we get him a card and get him a, a little gift and, and drop it off at the house? And we did that after school one day. Well, when he came back to school... That's all he was talking about was this toy car that we had gotten for him. And, and I was kind of blown away. I was surprised. I, I thought, well, where's this mean guy that I know that I was so angry at? We became friends. And, and throughout the whole time that I was at the school before my parents moved us on somewhere else, I, I remember that I got along really well with him. I learned some valuable life lessons in that. You know, my mom, who I, I have not really always given good credit for her wisdom, uh, deserved credit there. She knew what I needed, and she knew how to turn it around. And really, I think it was God who turned that around, you know? It was a learning experience, and I think that what Jesus is trying to teach us here is something similar to that I think he's trying to teach us that, that when we treat others the way that we want to be treated, when we pray for others the way that, that we would pray for ourselves, that God responds. And it, relationships can turn around and go someplace else. We pray to meet our needs and as we pray to meet the needs of others, you know, I have found that it is impossible to hate somebody when you're praying for them. <laughs> that it is impossible to stay angry over the long term when you are continually praying for someone. And that is a lesson that God has shown me over and over in my life. He meets our needs and relationships can change. And I wish I'd always listened to those lessons. I wish I'd always followed God in that way in my life. And, and that would be a lie if I told you that I did. I've made a lot of mistakes. Because I'm a sinner saved by God. You know, the way of discipleship can be a hard road. It can mean having attitudes that we wouldn't naturally have. It can be making choices that we wouldn't normally make. It can be praying in ways that we wouldn't normally pray given our sin nature except for Jesus. Except for Jesus in our lives. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now, we normally quote these verses as, you know, these are proof texts as we try to lead somebody to Jesus, right? You know, we, we quote this, as, and we always quote it in terms of somebody who needs to come to saving faith in Christ. But its context puts it in a place of prayer, and it puts it in a place about doing to others what we would have them do to us. 
It puts it in this place of discipleship, of what it is to follow Jesus. And, and you look at it, and it's true. You know, it's true that, yes, it applies to the person who doesn't know Jesus, that, you know, to inherit eternal life, we have to choose Jesus. We have to make a choice for life. But for a disciple... We are constantly making that choice. We have to walk a narrow road. You know, not every choice that could be made is a choice that we could be making. And not every prayer that could be prayed is a prayer that we should be making. We have to make some pretty hard choices, and sometimes we have to repent of some of the choices that we've made in life. But if we ask God to help us, and if we seek God, we will find him, and we will experience his presence. And if we are persistent and keep on knocking, that door is going to be opened. We serve a kind and loving God who wants to help us. He's ready to help us. And our God knows all about us. We can't hide anything. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows your situation, and yet he still loves you. And he loves me, in spite of me. You are God's child. I always find it ironic that here Jesus tells us to knock and to keep on knocking. And then in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and they with me. Here we are knocking on heaven's door to get heard so that we can come in and talk to Jesus and already Jesus is there at the door knocking on the door of our heart and he's ready to receive us. He says, let me in. Let me in. That's all you got to do is open the door. Let me in. And here we are knocking on the door. <laughs> he's already provided for us. In Revelation Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, you may remember this from our study in the spring, to the one who is victorious, and, and this is talking about discipleship, the one who remains faithful to the end, the one who walks the narrow road, the one who goes through the narrow gate, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have called us to the door of heaven through prayer. And you will open that door to eternity and invite us into deep fellowship. Help us to choose prayer first when we have needs. And help us to pray for others and to treat others how we wish to be treated. And help us to trust you fully and to make those hard choices and walk that narrow way until we meet with you person to person, face to face, in eternity. I ask your blessing on each one who hears this word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.